there's a lot of people wrongfully convicted, languishing in prison, and they are coming home. And guess what? They're coming home most often with no apology, no compensation, and no mental health resources to help them get themselves back together. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. In this week's episode, Michael Kahn, one half of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast, finishes up his interview with Ricky Kidd, a man wrongfully accused of murder. So Ricky, I'm curious, these, these tools that you used in prison, are you continuing to use them out of, outside of prison or, and are you, have you added things to your toolbox? Yeah, absolutely. I'm using the same things that I learned that worked for me while I was in prison. Uh, naturally, I wouldn't just abandon those things. They were so helpful in my most difficult times. And just because I am released does not mean I'm not facing or dealing with difficult times or challenges. Um, and so it has been therapeutic for me to continue to help others to use my life to make a difference in others, to use my story as an educational cautionary tool for prosecutors, police departments, um, corporations, universities, uh, for everyday people. It has been the very same thing, living, finding a way to be mindful of what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing, what I'm going through, and to continue to live outside of myself Again, using my life mm-hmm. to make a difference in and others. Did you, when you were released, Ricky, was there any kind of, well, I guess two things. Was there any counseling offered while you were in prison? And was there any counseling services offered when you were released for being wrongly convicted? The answer mm-hmm. to that question is a double no. Um, no counseling offered on the inside. Now, they will say that they offer some form of something. I wouldn't call it counseling. It is usually for individuals who um, on heavy mm-hmm. psychotropic medication, um, that th- th- those services are usually reserved for those type of individuals. Uh, so again, there was no help on the inside to really deal with what I was going through. And then when I come home, you add injury to insult where the state doesn't apologize, no compensation, no, we're sorry. No, we know you may be damaged and here's some help that was not made available. I am in therapy right now, but it has been on my own dime Mm -hmm. that I'm in therapy. I'm glad to hear that you are Ricky. I know, Uh, of course I'm biased being a, yeah, a therapist, but um, and um, of course, I'm, <laughs> of course, that's a I good bias. I, I, I tell it's you, it's a good I hope bias. It's being helpful for you, uh, but it is dis- yeah, yeah, it is distressing to hear that it there was offered when you were released. That's uh, mind-boggling to me, actually, yeah. and also not really. Uh, if mm-hmm. I'm if, mm-hmm. if I'm correct about this, that there really wasn't any. Were there any services or any assistance offered to help you get back on your feet? After 23 years? No. No. No services are available to exonerees. You know the funny thing about that question? And I'm sure your audience probably will find 
just quite shocking and appalling is this. If you are guilty of a crime and you're released on parole, there's programs called reentry where you meet the criteria for the state or the county that you're in to offer services to get you job training, to get you resources, to get you back on your feet, including, including housing. But an exoneree, when we show up at those same places, and we did, I certainly did, they told me, "Wow, you don't meet the criteria. There's nothing wow. we can do for you because I was exonerated, I was not guilty, and I was not released through the system of probation and parole. The door wow. was shut in my face. I would say so that's a huge, pretty sad thing. Huge now. hole in, in the system. Uh, because unfortunately, there are a lot of people in your position who are exonerated for being un unjustly convicted, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the numbers are mm -hmm. continuing to grow. Um, since 1989, the National Registry has logged almost 2,800 individuals have come home. That's the last 31 years. Um through exoneration efforts of conviction integrity units, private lawyers, and or innocent mm -hmm. project type organizations. The other, and that may sound like a lot to people, 2,831 years, that's actually a drop in the bucket. And here's how. Here's how that's a drop in the bucket. Because the same registry also reports that about 5% of the U.S. prison population is a result of a wrongful conviction. About 2.3 million individuals is inside that system. And so if we do the quick math, 5% of that is about mm -hmm. 115,000, give or take. Um, and so if you're talking about 115,000 individuals like still languishing inside prisons across the country, 50 states, if we divided it evenly, which I know it doesn't divide like that because some other states have more troubled areas than others. But just so the audience can kind of wrap their mind around what we're talking about here, you're talking about about 2,000 individuals in each state, uh, which brings that number to about $100,000, still under, mm -hmm. I mean, 100,000 individuals, still under the reported 115,000. There's a lot of people wrongfully convicted, languishing in prison, and they are coming home. And guess what? They're coming home mm -hmm. most often with no apology, no compensation, and no mental health resources mm -hmm. to help them get themselves back together. Um, so let, I want to go back to to a just discussion about your legal representation uh, when Sean and and mm -hmm. his colleagues came in. What what did you notice, or did you notice? You you said with the public defender you noticed that she was overwhelmed um, by things that she said and probably I'm, I'm guessing maybe some how she looked uh, and maybe she looked pretty maybe there were visible signs I guess of her being overwhelmed but what about Sean and the lawyers that helped you from the the 10th year on when it did you notice times where where they maybe were overwhelmed or where you were I know this is maybe sounds backwards, uh, but where you were concerned about them, 
you're the one in prison, but my guess is, not my guess, I'm, you, you want them to be in the best uh, physical and mental and emotional state possible to, to represent you, right? So did you ever notice yeah. times where you were concerned about them? Yeah. And did you ever speak to them about it? I did. And, and that is a good question. I'm so glad you asked that question, Michael, especially for those who may be listening. Again, we're talking about thriving lawyers, and we need those lawyers to thrive at all times. Not good to yourself, not going to be so good to your client. There was a time when we talk about Professor Sean O'Brien, I believe it was 2012, and he had been fighting with me losing round after round. And every time we thought this needs to be a win, it should be a win and it mm -hmm. turned out to be a defeat. It was 2012, the United States Supreme Court had just denied our case, a case that they should have took up. They're very rare and what they, and they're very specific about what type of cases this uh, US Supreme Court takes, but this one fit the bill of why they should have took it. We put a lot of work into it. Sean had worked overtime to make sure that we could get their attention and we didn't. It was devastating. I remember Sean coming to see me and he was not the same. And when I played the tape back, maybe six months, I could see he was slowly not becoming the same. Um, you could just watch a person. You could look in their eyes, you could tell their their zeal, you could watch their energy and it was changing. And so when it got to this point, we actually had a discussion um, and I was really concerned that here it was the person that was champion for me who I needed to be in the best shape mentally and physically and emotionally was not. Um, it resulted in uh, Professor Sean O'Brien taking a two year timeout, not a total timeout. I think he still had some other obligations as well, but he ended up taking off my case for two years. He said, mm -hmm. I'll be back. I didn't think he was coming back. I thought he was in total burnout mode and that was his way of letting me down lightly. He did come back. He was able to tap into his resilience. He was able to get some self-care. He was able to kind of reset, recharge, follow the model of resilience that we teach on and he, again, was able to come back in 2014 and bring me home five and, years after that. Uh, I'm guessing that there were other lawyers who stayed on your case, uh, even even though he left. Is that right? Oh, is that right? Okay. That would be incorrect. Um, that is right. Sean was really the engine to mm. uh, everything in my case. And when we lost in the United States, Supreme Court. That oh, was the end of the road, in a sense, other than two other small appeals. Uh, one was a DNA, um, which was not time sensitive. And one was a state habeas, uh, which was not time sensitive. And so if this was the time for anybody to take a break, he is a very wise attorney. This is where you would take a break because you don't have 90 days or 120 days to file your next appeal. And so when Sean took a break, everybody took a break. Uh, they, everybody at that time being the Midwest Innocence Project. But the important, listen, mm -hmm. I want your audience to listen. 
he was able to find his resilience. He was able to, to avoid full burnout and he was able to come back later and secure the victory. When he came back two years later, it was a two years that I wish he would have never left in a sense, but kind of wish, it's, but kind of glad that he did on the other hand, because when he came back, he was full of energy, he was refocused, and he brought the rest of the team. He brought more lawyers this time so that he wouldn't have to carry the full burden and weight of trying to cross me or rather get me across the finish yeah. line. Very, very smart man. Very, very smart man. Oh, as and do I, I have a ton as of respect for him. He's a good man. And, and for the listeners, uh, we actually interviewed Professor O'Brien on our podcast a while back. So you can find, I think it was in two parts, so you can find those interviews uh, in our archives. Um, so, so what was it like for you for him to say he's going to be taking a break for two years? And it, did he actually say two years or that's what it ended up being? It, mm -hmm. just, he did not okay. say two years. That's okay. what it ended up being. I see. He needed to take a step back. He had his head, his whole body, his whole everything. He is that type of uh, uh, right. advocate. He is a fierce advocate for those on death row, for those who have received unjust sentences, and certainly for those wrongfully convicted. So he just needed to take some time to himself. He needed some time to step back. I, I really did embrace it. You don't want to see him go, but you also understand mm -hmm. at the same time that he needed it. I could clearly tell that he needed it. I had yeah. to be in prison. Yeah. I was forced, shall I say. He didn't have to stay on the case. He was not forced. And so if I had an escape route, I probably would have took it. I didn't, but he did. And I'm so glad that he did. And I hope your listening audience will take away a solid lesson that when you get to that point, it is okay to stop, take a breather, a timeout, refocus, re-energize, find your resilience, and then get back to the goal at hand. We did that. He's shown that as a perfect case example, and we was able to get a and victory. I'm sure I don't know. Well. He's not here, but I would guess it was a difficult decision for him. Uh, I remember hearing that Quinn, his daughter, who is the investigator, said it was hard for her she told me it was it was hard for her to take breaks because she especially because she knew that people were languishing in prison when they shouldn't be there and at the same time as you're saying you need to be the lawyer needs to take care of themselves in order to be at their best for their client um yeah go ahead yeah yeah please yeah, I just want to say real quick, if I can, and it was not just Sean. Um, Michael, we're talking about Professor Sean O'Brien, yeah. and then you mentioned his daughter, Quinn, uh, who was on the case as well and worked other cases alongside her father. Right. But what about right. his wife, Ellen? Right. Ellen had to endure as well. And so the, 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 the fierce advocate of an attorney champion these cases, they're often long hours. They're often... Uh, lots of case files to read over. Um, a bunch of energy gets poured mm -hmm. into bringing one individual home. And he or she still has a family. And so the family takes a little ding when lawyers 
are trying to pursue justice. Um, Ellen often, Sean and Ellen, as they share with me, they would be in agreement on whether Sean would move forward, on whether Sean would take a step back. And I just want to say this real quick, too. During the end at the trial, my last hearing, shall I say, a mini trial, if you will, Ellen had had some issues that she had to contend with. And she told Sean to go ahead and get across the finish line. Um, it was a time that he probably would have naturally been there, that any individual would have ordinarily or naturally been there for his wife. But she had told him, no, you get him across the finish line. I'm never going to forget yeah. that. That beautiful woman who has sacrificed her family for the sake of me being still, able to return uh, stay, to mine. Do you stay in touch with, with Sean and with his wife? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we do. Right. We uh, Of course, it's been a pandemic, so we haven't had the time uh, to get together. But one of our last times prior to the pandemic was a beautiful breakfast. They invited me into their home, and we really yeah. enjoyed a good meal and some good laughs. Ellen is amazing, as is Sean. Now you've got a family. a family yourself now, don't you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I do. I do. I do. I came home August of 2019, uh, and in 20, I hit I hit the ground running, um, and I went to a luncheon link event that my now wife Don uh, was hosting back here in Kansas City, and uh, sh- the skills that she had brought to the table I was missing, and I I, I spoke with her and said, how can I get those skills? She told me what she charged. I said, ooh, maybe I'm going to have to circle back and see you at a later time. Um, We had a couple more meetings, and she said, listen, I believe in you. I believe in you, and I'm willing to forego some of this for which I would charge and get it on the back end. You have a unique story. You have something special, and I'm willing to offer my services. So we worked. in a professional capacity for about two and a half months, being around each other, there was synergy, there was natural chemistry and a connection there. Our aims and our pillars aligned. And uh, after we came to that conclusion, the rest is history. Um, We ended up having a child last November, I'm sorry, last December. We're married now. And I'm happy, I'm happy today to be able to say that the Midwest Innocence Project, Professor Sean O'Brien, Cindy Dodge, the entire team, stepped away from their family to help me yeah. reunite yeah, with mine. Absolutely. What a reward. So Ricky, we've got a few minutes left. And by the way, I've met not in person yet, but I've met Dawn and your and your beautiful baby and uh yeah, I look forward to, baby to meeting harmony. them in the same room one day yeah. soon. Uh, um, yes, looking forward to but that. Why as don't well, you my talk friend. a little bit? I know you've got a lot of things going on. So I want to give you some time to talk about. It. I know you've uh, mentioned your book, but you've got some some other things coming up. Uh, yes. Down the road, and so I just want to give you some time to speak to the listeners about them. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, of course, the book "Vivid Expressions: A Journey Inside the Mind and the End of A Journey Inside the Mind of the Innocent." It is on Amazon right now. Uh, where people can go out and purchase that. I like for people to go out and purchase that because it really takes you inside what it was like 
to be wrongfully convicted. So I have that going. We so somewhat relaunched it, uh, if you will. And then in conjunction with that, we just uh, rather we will be launching August 1st, a project called The Sale, where we're going to be taking people back inside what it's like visually, what it's like to be wrongfully convicted. We have a a, a stage set, so to speak, uh, where we outfitted um, a, a, a concrete cylinder that looks just like a cell. And I'm going to relive and I'm going to revisit some of those moments that we talk about so people can actually see, sense, and feel for themselves. I'm also going to sandwich that with why wrongful convictions happen and what can be done about it. My job to educate and, and, and inspire continues to be one of the first things I think about when I wake up. To complement all of that, uh, this August will mark my second year. And each year I try to do something distinct, something different, and something meaningful. And so we're going to launch a year-long tour. It won't be um, a NASCAR race, but it'll right. be more of a slower marathon. But from August 2021 to August 2022, we're going to crisscross the country some more hit the high states where wrongful convictions are happening. And we're going to talk about the origin of innocence, where innocence come from, where does these issues derive from, what we can do about them. Again, by the numbers, break down the numbers when we're educating prosecutor's office, uh, police departments, uh, legislators, those top three individuals are the three groups that can actually do something something about it more so in the immediate uh, sense. And then, of course, we're going to talk to more companies like Coke Industries, where we speak to these corporations about what their footprint or moral obligation should be. We're going to always talk to universities and uh, law uh, uh, schools because they are putting out the next generation of criminal defense lawyers and prosecutors and those who go on to become judges. We're going to continue to educate and inspire. And for people who like what I'm doing, who like what they're hearing, who may want to get involved, who may want to reach out to book me, I could be reached at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash I-A-R. That's my link tree. That's one link that takes them to everything that they may need to see or know about what we're doing over here. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee forward slash ir we'll love to have you come check us out and see how we'll put that link to make a difference uh, the details about the podcast so i'll I'll get that from you after we're done today um ricky and um so so the name of the program is the cell and is that going to be where is that going to be shown on on what platform or is it at youtube or uh uh-huh it's going to be on a new platform no, okay. it's a platform called Patreon. Okay. It's patreon.com. And to find this particular show, it's going to be patreon.com forward slash Ricky Kid. It's going to be epic. I really believe that. We're about halfway through shooting. It's going to be 12 episodes. We have six, almost seven done now. Uh, it, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really exciting. And people are really going to see different aspects. I'm actually going to try to oh, have Sean on one of the segments coming up because we are educating we're taking them inside and outside Mm -hmm. the cell inside and outside the cell and when we step back outside the cell i'm going to sit down 
with Professor Sean O'Brien, if he'll grant me that time. And we're going to help people understand why appeals get hung up and take so, so many Ricky, years. So, Ricky, if they go to that link that uh, you shared, uh, they'll be able to, uh, anybody will be able to see all the different things you've got going, including the cell. Is that right? Okay. That is correct. That is correct. Oh, there's yeah. a lot, lot happening. Well, and then no, there's a lot really happening. Wanna, go ahead, Ricky. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want, I genuinely, I genuinely, Michael, want people to be educated mm -hmm. and inspired when it comes to the work of criminal justice reform. I want people to be educated and inspired when it comes to their vocation as it relates to being a lawyer and how they can best serve the communities that they wake up to every day. That is one of my most genuine efforts. I love doing it. Uh, I'm going to continue to do it. And I think we do it best when we decide to do it together. In fact, might I mention that I'm excited about what we yeah. are talking about doing together as well in 2022, a collaboration. We talked about the cost mm -hmm. of a prosecutor's decision going inside the Jackson County District Attorney's Office here in October, but that's going to be used as a model. And we're going to take that model. When I say we, I'm talking about me, you, Chris, uh, and other great minds who may get a chance to put their hand to the plow and bring it to the bigger, uh, uh, bring it to the broader community oh, in a sense. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm very excited. I'm glad you mentioned it, because like. if you didn't, I definitely would have. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm very excited to, to continue to <laughs> collaborate with you and to um, uh, continue our friendship. And, and I see in that collaboration, talking to lawyers about some of the topics I mentioned earlier in the podcast, vicarious trauma and self-care. And uh, we're focusing more and more at real time on lawyer well-being. So this, this is in line with, with the, yeah. the focus that we are taking in 2021 and then into 2022. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Sure. Yeah. And, and can I say this real quick, real quick? This is a, and this is a very, very important footnote, my friends those who are listening, we cannot demonize individuals mm -hmm. who make bad choices, even when they're prosecutors. We cannot do that. Be, and here's why, what Michael is actually talking about, we have to deal with the root of what caused some of those bad decisions. And those decisions doesn't necessarily have venom in it. It has the lack of resilience training in it. It has the lack of understanding vicarious trauma, under stress, dealing with problems that you don't quite know how to deal with mm -hmm. can cause poor decisions, poor judgment in your personal life and in your professional life. In your personal life, we don't get to see it much, but when you do it in your professional life, it can have a splash of an impact. So that's why I really wanna partner with you all and continue to collaborate because we, have to do better and more when it comes to getting people to understand why we make the type of choices that we make and how to avoid making bad choices when you're trying to so be So well said, and I think that is, that is the perfect place to end this conversation. We'll, we'll obviously be having many more conversations, Ricky. This is a good, good, good point to end, 
And uh, I so appreciate your giving me your time. I know you're, you're super busy with everything that you shared with us on here, aside from being a dad and a, and a husband uh, and, um, and having a personal life. So thank you again for, for spending some time with us. And I uh, look forward to our work down the road. Yeah. Yeah, Michael, thank you for having me. Send my regards to Chris and the rest of the team and to the listening audience. Thank you for taking the time to listen and hear what we had to uh, say. We appreciate today. you. Appreciate you thank all you very so much. much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please come back for our next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.